This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. How is everybody this morning? Is it good to be at church on a Sunday morning? What? Hey, there we go. You know, we always say the best place you could be in all of Barstow is in church on Sunday morning. And you're at High Desert Word Center this morning. So you made a very good choice. And I believe that God's going to speak to everybody that's in here today. Before we get started, I wanted to show you something kind of exciting. In the bookstore, people have been asking us to get them more of a selection of Bibles. And so we have some new Bibles in. These are some really nice um, NLT, New Living Translation, uh, Slimline Bibles. Bibles, large print. Um, I recommend this. This is my, you know, the translation that I prefer. And uh, anyway, these are back there, twenty dollars and ninety nine cents, and they've got a couple different colors and stuff too. I think they got a picture up there. So anyway, I want you to check those out. They've got some large print King James Bibles back there, and also this week I was told they have some children's Bibles coming in. So anyway, something to something to look at. All right. People ask all the time about Bibles for their kids, so uh, we are listening and we're getting those in for you. All right, well, we're going to get into the message this morning. If you need an outline, raise your hand and the ushers will give you an outline to follow along with. And what we're going to be talking about today is this. It's called Staring at the Invisible. Staring at the invisible. And that kind of sounds like it doesn't make any sense, right? Like, how can you stare at something if you can't even see it? Well, what you know, there's a verse that I that I uh, I've stumbled across that I'm going to share in a few minutes. But but you have to realize this, that in order to become a person of faith, you have to learn to focus on things that you can't see. Does that make any sense? If you're going to be a person of faith, you have to learn to focus on things that you can't even see. I mean, has anyone in here ever seen God yet? I know. I mean, I'm 32 and I've been serving him for, you know, all these years, but I have yet to see him. But I'm so convinced that he's real. I mean, you couldn't tell me anything else that God's not real. I am convinced that God is more real than the people sitting in this room right in front of me. Well, why is that? Well, I've seen the things that God can do, even though I've never seen him. God has changed my life and done more for me than any person that I can see. And so I don't have to see him to believe that he's real. I just know. And to be a person of faith, when you pray for something, you don't always see the answer just yet. Right. Have you ever prayed for healing, but you don't feel healed? You ever prayed for, you know, you need God to move in your life financially, but it is not there yet. Maybe you've prayed for your kids and they just aren't turning around yet. They're still being, you know, not how they should be. Amen. You know, have you ever been in this place where you have prayed, but you don't see the answer yet? Well, that's where it takes faith because faith is believing Without seeing if you can already see it, then it doesn't take any faith. Right. I mean, it wouldn't take faith to believe in God if I could just see him right in front of me. I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's God right there. And, you know, there's John and you know, everyone else. No, it takes faith to believe in God because you can't even see him. And we're instructed in Scripture to keep our focus where it needs to be. And the thing is, is that it's always telling us to focus on things we can't even see yet. Why? Because God wants us 
to have faith. And so I want to I want to open up in prayer. Then we're going to get into three things that we need to see this morning. And I believe that God's going to speak to you and change your life. If you'll give him a few minutes of your time today. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus name, we thank you, Lord, as we always do, that we have a great church that we can come together and worship you, Lord. We can open up our Bibles and read about you and learn about you. And God, we're surrounded by great family today. Lord, I pray in Jesus name that as we open our hearts, you're going to speak to every single person in this building. Lord, you know what we're facing. You know what's going on in our hearts and in our lives. And God, I pray that you will meet us here on this day and change us for your glory. We thank you for it. In Jesus name, everybody said, amen. All right. Well, the first thing I'm going to say today is this. Number one is don't focus on the problem. Don't focus on the problem and on the trouble everywhere. I mean, there's, have you noticed that pretty much just everybody in this world, all they do is focus on the negative. They focus on the problem. And that's all they do is that they just talk about that all the time. They are totally immersed and locked in on the problems of this world, the problems in our country, the problems everywhere. And that's all they do is just people going around all the time repeating the problem, but nobody's talking about the answer. Is that helping anything? I don't think it's helping anything at all. And I'm going to show you something here this morning. A really, really powerful verse. Second Corinthians chapter four and verse 18. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter four and verse 18. We need some people that can talk about the answer, not just repeat the problems all the time. We've got enough people doing that and that's not fixing anything. Second Corinthians chapter four. And we're going to look here at verse 18. And we have to learn to trust a God that that we can't even see. We've got to focus on him. And, you know, I heard this story about there's this uh, this family's house caught on fire. And the everybody got out except for the little girl. She was stuck on the second floor of the house and the flames were coming in. And, and there was there's just nowhere to go. But the dad was standing right beneath the window saying, jump, I'm going to catch you. Jump, I'm going to catch you. And she's saying, I can't jump. I can't see you. I can't see anything. I can't see. I, I'm, I can't do it. And he said, it's OK. Just jump. You can't see me, but I can see you. And that's the same thing that God's telling us today is like, it's OK if you can't see me. I can see you and I know what you're going through right now. And so whatever it is that you're facing, whatever storm, trouble, trial, whatever you want to call it, the valley that you may be in. Listen to me. You may not be able to see the father, but the father can see you. And he's saying, just jump to me, man. I'll catch you and I'll take care of this for you. So don't focus on the smoke and the problems everywhere. Focus on the voice of the father. Amen. But look at this. Second Corinthians chapter four. And I want to show you here at verse 18, it says, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen for the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. And I love this, man, this verse right here. It seems confusing when you look at it, but it says we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. Why? Because the troubles that are around us, those are only temporary. Those aren't going to be here forever. And, and, and as I said, there's so many people that are just focused on the trouble and the problems that are surrounding us in this world. But that's not fixing anything at all. People are focusing on the problem when we should be focusing on the answer. And who knows what the answer is? 
Come on. Does anybody know what the answer is? Don't be afraid. Come on. Does anybody know what the answer is? There we go. We're going to wake you people up this morning. Listen, Jesus is the answer to every situation that we'll face. Our main speaker just came back on. Hallelujah. Jesus, we, our mains went out for a minute. Jesus is the answer to every situation that you're going to face in this life. If you're sick, Jesus is the answer. If you need more finances, Jesus is the answer. If you're depressed, Jesus is your answer today, isn't he? And so I'm telling you right now, don't focus on the trouble. Don't focus on the problem. Anybody can do that. What we're looking for is people that can find the answer. And Jesus himself is the answer. And I kind of think of it this way. You know, when you just focus and stare at the problem all the time, but the Bible says to fix your gaze on the things that are unseen, it's kind of like somebody that just stares at the sun nonstop. You're you're staring and listen, it, it, you know, it's interesting and yeah, it's it's neat and everything, but you're just staring and it, and it's blinding you. It's messing your eyes up and, and it messes with your vision. But remember a few weeks ago, we had this thing called the solar eclipse and all these dorks everywhere bought these glasses and we're staring. Staring at the sun. You weren't one of those, were you? All right. I know some of you probably were. That's okay. So, you know, you went out and you bought money for 30 seconds of a thrill and you stared at the sun like a goofball, you know, and it it was great and you loved it. But the people that didn't have that protection, there are people that have stared right at the eclipse. And what has happened? Listen, it was interesting, but they stared at the issue and the issue blinded them and it screwed their whole vision up. I mean, now they're walking around blinded all the time because they were focusing on the wrong thing, even though people say, no, don't focus on that. Don't don't do that. And they're like, oh, but I got to. And they focus on it and it screws their vision up. And I know some people, they've been focusing on the wrong thing for so long. Their vision in life is screwed up and you can even bring them the answer right in front of them, a Bible and say, don't be afraid. It says right here, this, this and this. And they're like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't see that. How do you not see it? It's right there in the Bible, but they don't see it because they're too focused on the wrong thing and it has screwed their vision up. I was talking to a guy that lives in my vicinity and and we know I was walking down the street and we were talking one day and this guy is an absolute chronic complainer. OK, I, I mean, anything you have nice to say, he'll trump it with something negative. I, I can say anything. Here's five bucks. Oh, well, I needed six. Like what? I mean, everything you say, he has something negative to say. And, you know, not whatever. He's he's a nice enough guy, but he's one of those guys. You see him walk on the street. And so you go to the other side and like I, you get your phone out and act like you're like. You're on a very important call anyway. And so I'm talking. He's like, well, I'll tell you what, man, the break ins around here, they're getting worse and worse. And and he's going on and on about how, you know, I mean, everything is just bad, but it's getting worse and it's not as bad as it's going to be. And so I know he's a Christian. He's a leader in another church. And so I said, well, praise God, brother. Aren't we glad that we're children of God and that his angels surround and protect us everywhere we go? Amen. And he goes, what a good that's doing. Rolled his eyes. I'm like, geez, man, what is wrong with you? You are so focused on the problem that I can come out and just, I mean, just lay some Bible verses in front of you as another born again Christian and you can roll your eye. How does that happen? His vision is screwed up, man, because he stared for so long at the negative and on the problems that now you can present straight up word of God to him. And he's like, I don't know, see how that let me know how that get back to me on that one. Well, I will. Guess what? 
I will because the angels do surround and protect me. I am a child of God and I'm not afraid of somebody breaking into my house and stealing all my stuff. Okay, I'm not afraid of that because I've got God on my side. Amen. And so a lot of times, though, we focus on just the problems and then that'll start to screw with you after a while and mess your vision up. And so one thing that I've learned is this, is that as a Christian, if you're facing a problem, check this out. If you're facing a problem, you need to keep the big picture in mind. You're focusing on this one day of your life, this week, this season of your life. I mean, and you know, you're 20 years old. You've still got like 70 years left to live. And you're focusing on, you're focusing, on, you know, on this one minuscule little thing. Like it's just the end of the world. Keep the big picture in mind, guys. Come on. Listen to me. What you're facing right now, Paul said, this is temporary, man. We're looking for an eternal prize. We're looking, what we should be focusing on is the things that are unseen. What you're focusing on is temporary and it's not going to last forever. And so whenever there's distractions that come into life, whenever there's things that try to, you know, little fires, little trials that keep coming, you got to be like a boxer, man. Keep your eyes on the prize. If you're looking over here, man, you're going to keep getting hit nonstop. Eyes on the prize. You've got to set your face like a flint forward and look at what is set before you. Amen. And so what does 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tell us? It says we walk by faith, not by sight. And there's a whole lot of people that they want to live the Christian life by sight. That is not how you live the Christian life. Why? Because that is not faith. If you can see it, it doesn't take faith. It doesn't take faith if you can already see it. And so, listen, you're not going to you're not going to do this thing by focusing on the problems and you're not going to be a victorious Christian if you have to see everything before you can truly believe in it. You got to keep your eyes on the prize. And like we're saying, man, listen, every problem that you face in this world is temporary. You may think, well, no, I'm sick. That's not that. You tell me, explain that every problem that you face in this world is temporary. I will say that one more time. Every problem, no matter what it is, is a temporary situation. Why? Because number one, you're either going to, you know, get your faith and you're going to beat this problem. And that's 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 God's will. And that's what God wants for you. But as a Christian, even if you were to just go to heaven, is that a defeat? No, you can't. Man, are you kidding me? You're, you're going to threaten to kill me and try to scare me. Do you realize that I'm not afraid of dying? And that's, that's you know, that sounds like a bold thing to say. I'm not afraid of dying. You can't you're going to threaten me with heaven. Bring it on. For real, man, get me out of this place. I'll go to heaven right now. You know, it says the streets of gold, man, the tree of life. There's no more pain, sorrow, crying. Yeah, you're going to you're going to scare me with heaven. I'm not afraid of going to heaven, dude. I want to go there. But, you know, know, don't send me right now. I've got kids and a wife and everything. I'll I'll give it a few more years. But at the same time, I've heard him say, man, you can't threaten a Christian with death. We're going to heaven, dude. We're going to heaven. I'm not afraid of going to heaven. So we don't have anything to be afraid of in this life. The things that we face, no matter what the problem is, it's temporary at best. Think about this. Even if you live to be a hundred years old, in the grand scheme of things, do you realize how short one hundred years is? I mean, Second Peter three tells us that a thousand years is like one day to the Lord. So I mean, I, I did a funeral one time for a guy that was one hundred and six years old. 
you know, and his wife was in her 90s. And, and she, you know, I mean, they, they're long life. It was great. And everybody's like, man, how'd this guy live this long and everything? And I'm like, that's really cool that he lived 106 years. But do you realize that in the eyes of heaven and the kingdom of God, 106 years is like two days. It's nothing. You know, God's like, oh, he's already up here. Well, that was quick. Okay, you know, listen, our problems, this world, everything, our lives are so short in the grand scheme of things. And that's why the Bible tells us, don't focus, don't spend all your energy looking at everything around you down here. Fix your gaze on the things that are unseen, because the things you can see They're temporary, but the things that you cannot see, those are eternal. Heaven's not going anywhere. Heaven's not changing. It's the same as it's been. And, And listen, we are going there someday, but we don't have to be afraid of the things in this life. Worst case scenario, we go to heaven and that lasts forever. That lasts forever. And so don't just focus on the problems. Focus on the answer. Think about it this way. Imagine you're, you know, you're taking a math test and you sit down. Problem number one, four plus four. Oh, my God. No. Four plus four. Oh, my gosh. Four plus four. Four plus four. Four plus four. Four plus, oh my, four plus four. Four plus four. Four plus four. And, and you just keep repeating the problem all the time. Man, spit it out, dummy. You know, talk. Four plus four. Four plus. And you just keep repeating the problem. Keep repeating. Listen, are you ever going to pass a test just by repeating the problem nonstop? You got to get some answers, don't you? Amen. And there's a lot of people that are they're facing the test in life, but all they're doing is just repeating the problem nonstop. Oh, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. Depressed, 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 anxiety. Oh, I got anxiety. Oh, I got anxiety, depression. I'm so sad. Oh, I hate it. I hate this world. I hate this life. Blah, blah, blah. And you're just repeating the problems. Listen to me. You're not getting anywhere, man. You're not passing any tests. There's a whole lot of people that can repeat the problems, but they don't get anywhere and they never pass the test. You've got to actually do something about the problems. What do you do? Well, you call on the name of the Lord, right? Because he's the answer to every problem. But don't just sit there repeating the problem to yourself. You've got to actually do something about it. You know, I've heard it put this way. There's a lot of people that they're a thermometer. You're like, well, what's that mean? They just tell you the temperature of their surroundings. If it's hot, yeah, it's hot. I'll tell you that right now. If it's cold, they can tell you it's cold. But we're not called to be a thermometer. You're called to be a thermostat. A thermostat actually changes their surroundings, right? And so if it's too hot, I just go in there and I, I mess with a thermostat. I adjust that and that controls the environment. Christians are to control the environment around them. You're like, well, that sounds, you know, that sounds kind of haughty. Well, take it for what it's worth. You're supposed to control your environment. We're supposed to have dominion in this world because we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. And there's a lot of Christians that are being conquered by the world around them. And that is not what God intended. You are supposed to, when you walk into work, guess what? Jesus just showed up at work. When you walk into school, Jesus just showed up at school. Why? Well, he said he'd never leave you or forsake you. He said he'd be with you everywhere you go, right? When you, where, wherever you go, Jesus is right there. Wherever you go, there's angels in the house because they went with you. They surround and protect you everywhere you go, lest you dash your foot against the stone, Psalm 91. And so listen, wherever you go, you are not alone. 
And so, yeah, absolutely, I'm going to control the environment around me. Absolutely, I refuse to live in a fear-filled environment. I refuse to live in an environment of, of hate and, and unforgiveness and bitterness. I'm not going to live like that. I'm going to control the environment around me by my faith. Amen? So don't focus on the problems that are around you. You don't focus on the problems. Anybody does that. What you do is, number two, you focus on God. And this may, this is so simple. This may sound like, well, that's not a very deep teaching. Well, just hang on here. We're going to get somewhere. Listen, focus on God. We're talking about staring at the invisible. Is God invisible to you? Amen. I already asked. None of you have said that you've ever seen God and I know that I haven't. And so when we focus on God, we are fixing our gaze, according to second Corinthians 418 on the things that are unseen, because God up until this point in our lives is unseen. We haven't seen him yet. Let me show you something here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, Hebrews 11, verse six. Are we getting anything today? Yeah. We, we learning something. Hebrews 11 and verse six. Now, if you're familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, this is called the faith hall of fame. And, you know, and it lists all these people of the Old Testament that won great battles through faith. It talks about Noah and Abraham and, and Enoch and all these different guys. And, and, and everybody in this chapter are people that won some real faith battles. And so if you want to know more about faith, you need to read Hebrews chapter 11. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it tells us something that, that you need to get a hold of this morning. Verse 6, it says, and it's impossible to please God without faith. Why? Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God actually exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And so it says it's impossible to please God without faith. That sounds like a very bold statement right there. Is there any way, is there even a slight chance that you're going to make God happy if you're not a person of faith? Is there a 1% chance that you can please God without faith? According to the Bible, no, it's absolutely impossible to please God if you don't have faith. It's absolutely impossible and impossible. Again, that's a huge, that's a bold word. But it says right here, there is no way that you can please God, that you can make God happy without faith. Why? Because to come to God, you have to believe that he actually exists. So you can't even you can't even trust God. You can't even believe in God without faith. And then it says, what I love is the last part of this verse, it says, he rewards those who sincerely seek him. The King James says, who diligently seek him. Is there anybody in the house today that diligently seeks God? Where's my, where's my part-time half-bakes at? Come on. All right, no, don't raise your hand. I'm joking. But, yeah. But really, there's a lot of people like, well, man, why isn't this working in my life? I, the, this guy's got all these testimonies and blessings. Well, he sincerely, diligently seeks God. I mean, it's not, this isn't rocket science. This guy over here diligently, sincerely seeks God. And God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, right? And, you know, you, you may get some blessings in your part-time Christianity and, you know, spill a few things over on you. But if you want to walk into the fullness of what God has for you, you need to diligently, sincerely, full-time seek God and watch what he will do in your life. Amen. Amen. God, God will absolutely show up if we will diligently seek him. But I want to show you a verse right here. Verse 27 of Hebrews chapter 11. 
Hebrews 11, verse 27. And this is talking about Moses. And there's a key phrase in this verse that has always jumped out at me. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27. It says, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. But look at this. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. That sounds like the biggest oxymoron of all time. It says he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. How could Moses stand face to face, toe to toe with Pharaoh? How could he keep pressing on? How could he keep fighting this fight to get these people set free whenever all this opposition, whenever he was so outnumbered? Well, he just kept his eyes fixed on the one who is invisible. He could have looked at the army surrounding him. He could have looked at the power of Pharaoh and the power of Egypt. These people have been slaves for 400 years. I mean, this was an intimidating situation right here, but Moses didn't focus on that. He kept his eyes fixed on the one who is invisible. And so what I'm asking you today is this in your situation in the in the day of life that you are in right now. What are your eyes fixed on? Is it fixed on the problem or are your eyes fixed on the one who is invisible? I mean, only you can answer that question, but you need to be honest with yourself. Are my eyes fixed on the one who is invisible or am I, am I just focused on this problem all the time? Because listen, the one who is invisible, he'll bring peace in the storm. That problem, that is not going to bring you any peace. The one who is invisible, he'll bring joy Instead of sorrow, he is your strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Why would we not want to focus on him? We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. It says the author and finisher of our faith. And so Moses, he was able to keep on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. And I like to put it this way. How do you keep your eyes on the one who is invisible? You don't focus on the problem. You focus on the promise. Moses, his eyes weren't fixed on the problem. His eyes were fixed on the promise. And when you've got a promise from God, that is all you need right there. You've got a word from God. You've got a verse you're standing on. Boom. That's that is it. That is what you need right there. Don't focus on the problem. Focus on the promise. When you've got a promise from God, people have they, they've they've persevered through the most impossible of situations. Just holding on to a promise from God, just holding on to the word of God. And that's what Moses did right here. That's what David did when he faced Goliath. That's what Noah did when he was building that ark. Do you know how stupid Noah looked? He's building this thing for a 100 years and there's no rain. And he keeps telling the people, listen, it's going to rain. And the Bible says up until that point, it had never rained before. God sent water from the ground to water the earth every day. And so Noah's telling these people, listen, you need to get it together. I'm building this thing. You, you can get on if you want to. But one of these days, water is going to fall from the sky. And people are thinking, man, that's stupid. That's crazy. Water from the sky? That's never happened before. That's stupid. That's like if I told you guys, pork chops are going to fall from the sky. Everybody get ready. Here they come. Pork chops one of these days. Maybe not yet, but they're coming. And you're like, man, that is stupid. You're nuts. Well, that's exactly how Noah looked at everybody when he said water is going to fall from the sky and there's going to be so much of it. It's going to kill everyone. They laughed 
They mocked. They ridiculed. They, I mean, they he had little teenagers tagging the side of the ark when he wasn't looking. Got their, their skinny jeans and tagging the ark. Listen, he had to put up with some stuff, man. But, but what did he do? He had never seen rain yet. He had never seen rain yet. But he had a promise from God. All he knows is that one day God said it's going to rain. Build a boat. And he held on to that. For nearly a hundred years, he held on to that one promise when not a single drop fell from the sky. How could you do that? Well, it took faith. It was by faith that Noah built the ark. And what, what, what are you doing in your life? Listen, did God give you a promise? Did he speak something to your heart? You've got to hold on to that, man. You've got to hold on to the promise from God. Better yet, did God give you a verse for your situation? I don't care how bad, how impossible it looks. You cling on to that verse with all of your life. Don't let go from the word of God, because that is the only thing that can pull you out sometimes is just clinging on to that one verse. You may have all hell coming against you, but you are so connected to that one verse that God gave you. You're connected to that promise from God. And if you don't let go, victory is yours. It will come. Why? Because Galatians 6 tells us to not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Don't give up. Don't faint. Your focus has to be on God. It can't be on the problem. you got to focus on the promise. And that's the problem. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about this. I've seen so many people that that maybe, you know, they, they start to get some symptoms in their body. You know, maybe their shoulder starts hurting. So they're like, well, I better go on Google and see what it has to say. <laughs> and so, you know, so they, they, they start researching. Oh, my gosh. Shoulder pain. Well, that's connected to my arm and my arm's connected to my body. It's got to be cancer. Oh, God, no, no. Let me research cancer. OK, wow. Oh, my gosh. No. And, and next thing you know, they're so they're researching and typing and, and all this stuff. And, and I mean, they're 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 searching and, and they're so focused on the problem that I mean, they've done got them. They've got their burial arrangement. They've got the funeral home. Like, Go ahead and get one ready for me. I'm, I think I'm coming soon. Like, What's your problem, man? Focus on the promise from God. If I've got symptoms, I'm not going to Google. I'm going to the word of God. Amen. God is better than Google and he's got promises. And so if you've got symptoms, the first thing you need to do is start researching what the Bible has to say. Okay, Matthew 8, 17, Jesus took my sickness and removed my disease. Okay, that's all right. There we go. First Peter 2, 24, by the stripes of Jesus, I have been healed. Okay. Oh, third John 2, beloved, I wish above all things that you'd prosper and be in health, even as your soul. You need to go straight to the source, man. Go to the book of promises when you've got an issue. Don't don't go to everybody else for advice. What does Psalm 1 tell us? It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. I know some Christians that go to some very ungodly people for counsel. I mean, that that is that puts so many people under that it's not even funny. If I have a, if, if I need counseling, man, I'm going to go to a Christian one at least. You know, if, if I if I've got issues, I'm not going to spill my guts and my problems to all my unsaved friends. They're not even going to heaven. And you're trusting them to give you sound advice about your life? You kidding me? That's stupid. Why why would I mean somebody that hasn't even made the choice to believe in Jesus yet, you're going to ask them how to raise your children? Hallelujah. That is good preaching. Thank you, Marcel. That's good preaching right there. 
You're somebody that has not even received Jesus. Has the, the Bible says that they are spiritually dead. You're going to go to a dead person to ask you how to raise your kids, how to fix your marriage, how to do your finances. I've said this before. I would trust one of the babies in the nursery right now more with my finances than I would an unsaved financial advisor. Because they're going to tell me to quit tithing. And that's going to that's going to for sure put me under. Listen, I would I would seriously I would go to one of these kids for counsel in my life before I'd go to my unsaved co-workers that, you know, that they're they're coming into work from their hangover. Oh, yeah. You wanted to talk to me about your marriage? OK, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a few minutes. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It says, blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the un- who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. I want to be blessed. I'm not going to listen to the, uh, this world about how to live my life. I'm going to Jesus and I'm going to Christian people. And so don't focus on the problem and don't go to dead people for life advice. I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all. And so listen to me. We've got to get this together. That what is your focus on? And so let me put it this way. Jesus himself would switch his focus from the problem and up to heaven. When Jesus was in a pickle, he would switch his focus from the problem and get and put his eyes towards heaven. You're like, really? That's yeah, seriously. Look at this. Matthew chapter 14. Check this out. Matthew chapter 14. And so this is not part of the sermon today, but I'm just throwing this out there because I feel God wants us to. If you're going to unsaved people for life advice, quit. Can I get an amen? That's I'm just throwing that out there. That's for somebody today. Quit taking your relationship issues to your unsaved people. Don't do that. Matthew chapter 14 We're going to look at verses 15 through 21. And this is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And of course, very great story. But I want to show you something here. Matthew chapter 14. Look here at verse 15. It says that evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, no, that's not necessary. You feed them. What? I mean, I thought my response would be, are you kidding me? If they bring a problem to Jesus, he's like, so feed him. Do something about it. What? Jesus, are you serious, man? But look at this. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. And so Jesus, he took control of the situations that he was in. Notice this. Read about Jesus. He controlled the environment. He didn't let chaos break out and people start going crazy. He controlled his environment. That's the mark of true leadership right there. Anyway, so he commands the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. Look at this. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Five pieces of bread and two fish turns into 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. So, I mean, we could be looking at 10, 15,000 people here that Jesus fed with these five loaves and these two fish. But what did Jesus do 
whenever they brought the problem to him. He controlled it. He got everybody sit down. We're going to take care of this. He took what they had and then he looked to heaven. He didn't take what he have and stare at the crowds. Oh my God, there's two and five, seven items, 15,000 people. What am I? You know, he, he, he took the two pieces of fish that he had and he said, God, I've already got two. We only need four thousand nine hundred ninety eight more. And he looked to heaven. He took what he had already and then he put his focus on heaven. Where's the lesson in this for us? If you, if you need five thousand dollars and you've only got two, praise God. Praise God. You've got you've already got two. Take those in your hand. Look to heaven. And God's got the other four thousand nine hundred and ninety eight. Right. You take what you've got. And God will and God will provide what he has put them together. Boom. There's your answer right there. And so Jesus, he could have taken it and said, oh, my gosh, this isn't enough. This isn't enough. And that's what a lot of us are doing. I've only got two. This isn't enough. What am I going to do? Listen, quit looking at the two dollars. Quit looking at the crowd all around you and put your eyes toward heaven. You know, there's there's something for you to see in this. That Jesus didn't focus on the problem. He put his eyes toward heaven. He started focusing on God. And if I'm responsible for feeding 15,000 people, I'm not looking to myself in this. I'm going to need some outside help. Especially if I've only got two fish and five loaves of bread. I don't have enough anyway. Why am I going to focus on what I've got? I need to put my focus on the unseen. Where do those fish come from? I don't know, man. God made fish appear. Who cares? God made it happen because Jesus turned his eyes toward heaven in the hour of need. And so that's the lesson for you right now. Even if you literally, physically have to look toward heaven to make yourself focus, do it. Because you don't have the answer, man. You do not have the answers to your problems But Jesus does. The invisible one does. The one who is unseen has the answers. We're talking today about staring at the invisible. And so that's what Jesus did. And God came through and they had so much provision that they had 12 baskets of leftovers. Who likes leftovers? It's my favorite part about Thanksgiving. It's the leftovers. Man, are you kidding me? That's the best part. Heating up a turkey sandwich on the, on, you know, the, on Friday? Dude, that's what it's all about right there. And that's what God wants for you, man, is to have so much provision that you've got leftovers. And how's that gonna happen? Well, it's not gonna happen by staring at yourself. It's not gonna happen by staring at the problem. It's gonna happen by fixing your gaze on heaven. And so that's the third thing that we're gonna say today is this. Number three. And you can't focus on the problems. You got to focus on God. But number three, something that we lose sight of as modern day Christians way too often. You've got to focus on heaven. We as 21st century Christians, we are so distracted that we rarely think or talk about heaven. And that's not right. That's not good. We're supposed to be thinking about heaven all the time. We're supposed to be talking about heaven all the time. And I find that it's very rare that I talk to somebody and we actually discuss heaven with each other. And you're like, well, big deal. Well, listen, it it, it is a big deal. We're instructed to have our gaze fixed 
on the things that are unseen. We're, we're, we're instructed to talk about heaven. I want to show you something here in Colossians chapter three. I'm going to read this out of the living Bible. That's different than the New Living Translation. But Colossians chapter three, verses two through three. Go over there. And there's this quote I heard from C.S. Lewis. He said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. The Christians who did the most for this present world were those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world They've become so ineffective in this one. I mean, that makes sense to me. It's since we've quit thinking so much about the next world, we've become very ineffective in this world. Because if you never think about heaven, what's your motivation for people that are going to hell? You don't think about people. I, I, I can pretty much guarantee if you never think about heaven, you don't really too often think that your co-workers are going to hell. That your your brothers and sisters, the people around you, if you know, if you're if you are only focused on this life, you are probably not a very good evangelist. I'm guessing if I asked if you how many people you've led to the Lord in the last year, I'm guessing if you're someone that only focuses on the problems of this world and the problems that our country faces, I can pretty much guarantee you have not led anybody to the Lord within the last year. And I'll even go a step further, the last 10 years and possibly ever. And, uh, you know, am I putting down, I'm not putting down on you, but that's that's not right and that's not good. Christians were told by Jesus some of his final words spoken when he was in this world were go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And a lot of us aren't doing that because we're not thinking about heaven. We're not thinking about hell. All we're thinking about is oh, that guy. He offended me. That, that guy did this. Uh, the economy, the, the taxes, the blah, 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 the, this and this and that and that and that. And, and, and if that's all you think about. I can guarantee that you are not a good evangelist and you are probably not obeying the Great Commission for what it's worth. All right. And so we're told to focus on heaven. Colossians chapter three, verses two through three in the Living Bible. I want you to pay attention to this. Please just get this. He wrote, let heaven fill your thoughts. Don't spend your time worrying about things down here. You should have as little desire for this world as a dead person does. Your real life is in heaven with Christ and God. That's a good word right there. He said, you should have as much desire for the things in this world as a dead person does. Because this isn't even your real life. Do you realize that? That right now where you're at sitting in this seat, this is nice. This is great. But this isn't your real life. This isn't eternal life. This isn't the real thing. If you're in here and you live to be 150 years old, that is nothing. That is absolutely nothing. That's nothing. And we're so caught up in this. He said, you should have as much desire for the things of this world as about a dead person does, because this isn't even your real life. Your real life is in heaven with Christ and with God. And yet, why don't we ever think about our real life? Why don't we ever think about the real world, our real home. You know, if you look back at the, the the hymns that people sang in generations past, you know, we're not a church that sings a lot of hymns and that, you know, that's fine. But so many of those were about heaven. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Right. And, you know, that, that there's so much truth in that, that this if, if, if you think that this is the final destination and I love my life, it's great. I got a great church, great family all around me. But if this is as good as it gets, 
there's got to be more. <laughs> there's got to be more. As blessed as I am, this is not as good as it gets. Heaven awaits me. This world isn't my home. No, I'm passing through, man. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. I am just an ambassador on planet Earth for just a few years. Not very long. Just a few years. I'm just passing through here, but I don't belong here, man. I do not belong in this world. I belong up there and I'm going and I am convinced that I am going one of these days sooner or later. And yeah, like I said, I'm man, I'm not afraid to die. I'm focused on heaven. And so the Apostle Paul turned to Second Corinthians, chapter 12. The Apostle Paul had a vision of heaven. And in fact, he said he very well it may not have been a vision. He might have actually gone to heaven physically in his body. But second Corinthians, chapter 12, verses two through four. He talks about this experience and he wrote about it. And it's very interesting because I've studied a lot of people that have had heaven experiences. And there are, there are a lot of people that, I mean, you can think, well, that, you know, that I don't believe that. That's fine. You don't have to believe it. But, but there are a lot of people that have had heaven experiences. And what's crazy is, you know, I, was, I've, I read this book that came out last year. And anyway, this guy, he, he interviewed, I think over a thousand people that have either had a near death experience or have died on the operating table and been brought back. And over a thousand people that have had a glimpse of heaven. And what's crazy is none of these people have ever talked to each other, but all of their stories match and have the same elements to them. And I'm reading this book and I'm like, man, that's incredible. You can't get some guy from the middle of Germany and, you know, and, and tell the exact same story as some guy from, you know, California that they've never even met each other. And it happened over a thousand times. The mathematical chances of that are like one in 500 zillion. It's, it's, it's impossible. So anyway, you can take that for what it's worth. But listen to Paul's story because he did have this heaven experience before he ever even died. Second Corinthians 12, verse two, he says, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago, whether I was in my body or out of my body. I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. And so Paul talks about heaven. And the things that he heard and the things that he saw, you, he said, I you wouldn't even believe them. I can't even. They're, they're so beyond extraordinary, so beautiful and wonderful. You can't even put them into words. And I'm like, man, can you imagine the things that he saw? He said, I couldn't even I couldn't even I couldn't even explain them to you. There are not words in the human language to describe what heaven looks like. And, the, you know, the book of Revelation, we're getting ready to look there. But it, it gives us some glimpses. Paul or excuse me, John tried to paint a picture and tell us as much as he could about it from the vision, the revelation that he had. But there's just we our minds couldn't handle it. It's beyond the human mind to comprehend what heaven looks like. But I'm going to think about it. I'm going to dream about it as much as I can until I get there, because I want to go to heaven. I want I want to go to heaven. I love my life. I love, you know, there's wonderful things in this world, but I'm not here for very long. I'm going to heaven one of these days. Either either Jesus is going to split the clouds and I'm going up or one of these days I'll get super old and die. But either way, 
I'm going to heaven and I'm only temporarily in this world. No matter what your problems are, they are temporary at best. They're not going to last forever. And so I want to give you a little bit of a glimpse of heaven before we close out today. Look at Revelation chapter 22. Because Paul told us, let heaven fill your thoughts. Don't spend your time worrying about things down here. If Christians could just get a hold of that. Revelation 22, but I'm going to say that again. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Don't spend your time worrying about things down here. You should have as little desire for this world as a dead person does. Your real life is in heaven with Christ and with God. Amen? You're getting quiet on me. Amen? All right. Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2. So John has this revelation. And in it, he has shown the new heaven. It says, then the angel, and, and this is just a little glimpse of it. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month, and the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. And so I'm just imagining this river that flows right down the main street of heaven right there, coming out of the throne of God. It's as clear as crystal. And I've heard people that have had visions of heaven talk about the plants there that are not like anything in this world. And I can just imagine the tree of life being right there. And it says it grows a new crop each month with with medicine to heal the nations. I'm like, man, I, who wants to see this, man? You know, I want to go. I want to see the river of life. I want to see the tree of life. And when we get there, it's going to be a reality. We're going to see it. And this flows right down the middle of heaven. Did you know that heaven is a city and it is a huge city? Look at the last chapter here. Chapter 21. Check this out. We're just talking about a glimpse of heaven. Why? Why are we even talking about heaven? Because Paul told us to let heaven fill our thoughts. Do you need I mean, anyone in here, would you say that you need to start letting a little bit more of heaven fill your thoughts than all the problems of this world fill your thoughts? I can't help but think about heaven and I, I start to get happy, man. I'm like the things that I'm facing right now. Oh, my gosh. When I get there, those are just going to be, I mean, just nothing. Just a faint, distant memory, man. And heaven's going to last forever. But look at chapter 21 here, Revelation 21. And we're going to look at verses 15 through 17. And we're told here what the, about the size of heaven is. This is super interesting. Revelation 21, verses 15 through 17, it says, The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. When he measured it, he found it was a square as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. That's a pretty big city. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. And so heaven is a square 1,400 miles in each direction. Can I, so this is, this is, this is beyond me because the houses and the streets, they don't just go this way and this way. They can go up. 
They, I mean, I, I don't under, I, that's beyond me. Are there layers? I, I, that's, I don't understand all of it. I'll have to find out when I get there. But, but think about this fact. The average commercial airliner flies seven or eight miles in the air. Heaven is 1400 miles from floor to top. And you think you're high when you're eight miles in the air. 1400 miles straight up. And that way. And that way. And that every direction. This is huge. And you know, and, and I mean, again, my mind can't fully uh, picture or comprehend all this, but I'm thinking about it and I like to think about it because that's my home. That's my real home. Paul said in Colossians 3 that that's the real life. Whatever this is, the fake life, I don't know what you call this, the temporary life, but this isn't the real thing. This is the temporary thing. That's the real life up there. Amen. You ever seen somebody driving a junky car and they're like, oh, I'm just on oh, this is temporary. My, my, my real car is a Ferrari. It's, it's in the you know, like, listen, whatever you see of me right now, this isn't the real thing. This is the temporary. My real thing is up there. My real house isn't in Barstow. My real house is a mansion in heaven. Amen. It's a mansion and Jesus is building it right now. How do I know that? Well, in the book of John, Jesus said, and my father's house are many mansions and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you to myself. And so, hey, I'm waiting on my big brother, Jesus. He's my big brother. My big bro is coming one of these days. He's going to split that sky, pick me up and take me back to my real home. Amen. That's the, so don't get confused. Don't be fooled by what you see. This is not the real me. The, you know, this is the temporary me. I'm going to heaven to my real home and I'll get a glorified body. But that's another study right there. OK. And so another factor of heaven that we think about is the gold. Well, check this out. Chapter 21, look at verse 18. The wall was made of jasper and the city was pure gold as clear as glass. And we all know, yes, the streets are made of gold and it tells us that. But it also tells us that the entire city is made of such pure gold that it's as clear as glass. Can you imagine like what one block of heaven would be worth? I mean, I usually look up the price of gold, but it's running like twelve hundred dollars an ounce or something like that. Can you imagine what a pound of heaven would be worth? Can you imagine what one street in heaven is that number is beyond any human number that we have. Our dad, our father is rich. Let's just get real. People don't like to hear that word at church, but, you know, it's not a dirty word. Our heavenly father is rich. And I'm not embarrassed about that because I know that I can go to him and he can provide if he makes streets out of gold. Yeah, and I need, you know, I need a thousand dollars, whatever the case is. He's got it, man. All I got to do is fix my gaze on the things unseen. Look to heaven. And so this entire city is made of a gold so pure that it's as clear as glass. And, and, and look at verse 21. There's 12 gates into heaven. The 12 gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. All these things are gone or excuse me. Yeah. Made from a single pearl and the main street was pure gold as clear as glass. Can you imagine how big of a, of a pearl that is? Fourteen hundred miles tall. Imagine the clam that laid that thing. Good Lord. 
Anyway, sorry. So, I mean, can you, where did this come? Well, God made these things, man. And so what are we worried about in this life? Focus on heaven. I'm challenging you. Focus on heaven. Don't don't go home today and turn on the news and say, oh, it's bad, but it's getting worse. Oh, my gosh. What are they doing today? What's going on today? Don't do that, man. No wonder you're in a foul mood every day and no one wants to be around you. Don't do that. Focus on heaven. Focus on your real home. Focus on the streets of gold, the tree of life. Focus on being reunited with your loved ones that died before you. Focus on heaven. And the last thing I want to say about this is in verse 4 of chapter 21. This is one of my favorite things about it. Chapter 21, verse 4. When we get there, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. No more crying. No more sorrow. No more death. No more pain. No more anything bad forever. All those things are gone forever. You're in heaven now. It's eternal and it's not going to end. And so our challenge today is this. Though we're surrounded by bad news, though we're surrounded by troubles and, 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 and problems and this, all these, all these situations, don't focus on that. You may be surrounded on every side by trouble, but you're not supposed to focus on that. You're supposed to focus on the unseen. You're supposed to fix your gaze on the things that you can't see. You've got to do like Moses when he was surrounded by the Egyptian army on one side and the Red Sea on the other side. It says he kept on stepping forward because his eyes were fixed on the invisible. Your eyes today have to be fixed on the invisible. Everything that I just read about heaven sounds a whole lot better than the things surrounding me right now. My focus is going to be on God. It's going to be on heaven. It's not going to be on all the issues surrounding us today. And listen, that's our instruction from God. He said, let heaven fill your thoughts. Keep your eyes fixed on the invisible one. And when we do this, that's when you begin to fulfill 2 Corinthians 5-7. You walk by faith and not by sight. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. I just want to please God. So I'm going to fix my eyes on Him, the invisible one. Amen? All right, let's go ahead and stand up together today. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.